What a joy we've had going through this book of Galatians. I don't know if you've been following, if you haven't been following with us, this is our third week. And we've been asking everyone to take time to either sign up for our daily scriptures and read this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. It's not a very long letter. Uh, if you can catch up really easy, where the reading will now be at Galatians chapter 5. If you want to get a bookmark, you can get one out at the Info Center. As uh, Doug said, uh, it's really about uh, a letter that Paul is writing to the believers in Galatia. And I know Ed showed the province of Asia, that, that, that area, the geographical area where the, the believers resided, that Paul was writing to. And Ed talked about the fact that Paul said, look, the message that I brought you was not a message I heard from another man or received from man. It was a message I received from God. He's referring to when he was stopped on the road to Damascus. And we read about it in the book of Acts. And he was given this revelation of the gift of Jesus Christ and the salvation of Christ uh, that was God's plan. And he passed that news on to them. And there's, there's nothing that needs to be added to it. The work of the cross, the work of Christ, is complete in, in forgiving our sin, uh, buying our salvation for us. But what's happened is, after Paul left there, they've been listening to some other uh, sect of another religious group, and they're called the Judaizers, and they were saying, yeah, but there's more to it. You need to do a few more things. And Alice talked about how the works of the law versus grace and the tension there, and how grace is the way salvation is brought. And Paul is simply writing this letter to say, hey, these people that you're listening to now, they're wrong. They're just wrong. They said, he said in Galatians chapter 3, they've tricked you. If we were to receive this letter today or it would be published in the newspaper today, it would take all kinds of heat because it's just that politically incorrect. Just the way Paul writes it and the passion and the zeal in this letter, that's what sort of grabbed me this time going through it about the tension in the letter the passion that Paul is writing it. I was reading the Des Moines Register a couple weeks ago, and I came across an article. It's really a letter written by a gentleman that's far more palatable in our culture. Listen, just look at the title of it. It's written by Rabbi Stephen Edelman Blank from Israel Synagogue in Des Moines. One religion, he says, doesn't own the truth. He writes in there, Occasionally I run into someone who seems to demonstrate not a whole lot of respect for other religious traditions. The person seems so sure of their own beliefs that they really can't entertain other kinds of beliefs. And this guy is talking down on this kind of person. You can't read through the book of Galatians and say, that's Paul. He is so sure of his beliefs, he doesn't even want to give thought to another one. It's just not well received in our day. Paul is saying, you're listening to these people. They're wrong. It's interesting, when Peter came to visit, Paul said, you know, even when Peter came and started doing things a little differently against the message that I brought you, he said, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And then he said, when I saw that the group was not acting in line with, and here he says, just in opposite, with the truth, the truth, he said, I confronted them in front of everyone. Paul writes this letter because he so clearly wants the believers in Galatia to get this right. 
Paul is talking about the salvation of souls, their souls, your souls, anyone's souls. And Paul knows ideas affect us. There's all kinds of ideas in the world. When we first had our young child born, we got a lot of input about how you raise an infant, what you feed an infant, uh, potty training an infant. And as they get a little older, there's a lot of ideas about how you educate a child and how much the parents should be involved and whether you should go to public school or private school. And all these ideas are promoted. And then you have ideas about what activities and how many activities kids should be involved in. It can all get a little confusing because there's so many voices. We have this in almost every arena. When a person decides, what am I going to do with money? There's all kinds of ideas about how you should spend your money, how you should save your money, how you should invest money, how you should give money. Those ideas affect us. They have an influence on us. They make a difference. There's ideas about how government should operate, whether a government should, you know, be... Uh, bigger or smaller, how they should affect the economy. There's ideas, that's what Paul is writing about, about spiritual beliefs, about religions, and about salvation. And Paul is, in writing about salvation, he wants them to get this one right. And in so doing, he discounts the people that they're listening to. He says, you really shouldn't listen to them for a number of reasons. And I'm going to pull out three out of there. And I'm going to pull these out by simply asking the question, as as we look at them, I want us to ask the question, are the people we're listening to at all like these Judaizers? Should we be giving our ear to the people we're giving our ear to? So that's the question today. Who's got your ear? Solomon said, as a person thinketh in their heart from the ideas they get, so do they become. And so it's true for you and I, whoever we listen to gives us ideas that shapes and molds our life into what we become. So here's what Paul says about the people the Galatians are listening to. Galatians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Those people, he said, are zealous to win you over. There's a lot of people in our world zealous to win us over for their cause, for what they're passionate about. Same with these people. They're zealous to win you over, he says, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. People need to feel important. And oftentimes they'll rally people around them for a selfish reason to help themselves feel more important. Feel more, you know, responsible, more like they matter more. And that's what Paul says is going on here. They want to alienate you from us so you may have zeal for them, so they feel better about themselves and the group they're trying to form. It is fine to be zealous, he said, provided the purpose is good. Here's a question. Are the people you're listening to really have your best interest in mind? Or is there some sort of selfish agenda? Human beings in their very nature, have a selfish bent. When push comes to shove, our natural response is to look out for ourselves. So whenever you're listening to someone in this world, another human, you ought to listen with a discerning ear and say, do they have my best interest in mind? Or is there some other hidden agenda in here I I haven't picked up on yet? Last fall, a gentleman pulled into our driveway. I was 
outside working. He pulled in the driveway and he struck up a conversation with me with great zeal in his heart. Introduced himself, very jovial, fun guy. We interacted just a little bit and quickly he turned the conversation to a question. He said, have you ever thought about paving your drive? Well, we have a gravel driveway and it's, it's, in a, it's very long. It winds a lot of places. And I, I laughed when he said it. Because I said, yeah, to pave this thing, I mean, you, we just couldn't do it. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I got a crew down the road. We're just wrapping up on a job. And we've got a little left in the truck. You've heard it before. We've got a little left in the truck. We'll just come down here. We need to empty the truck. You pick a place where you want to sample. Then you see if you like it. If you ever decide you want to pave it, I'll give you my card. You just give us a call. I said, well, fine. You know, I'll pick a little spot. You just bring it down. I, I said, you know, we're not, any, we're not going to buy any. I made it clear to him that first meeting. And he brought it down. And what shocked me is when I saw him coming down the highway, there were 12 trucks. <laughs> 12 trucks. They pulled into the yard, dust flying everywhere, big trucks, someone pulling trailers, packers, heat tank, what, I don't even know what they are. Guys, get out, 15 workers. Get out, they start, they jump in their skid loads, they start grading the drive. He said, where would you like that piece? And I pointed at the piece, and all of a sudden they've got about 100 feet graded, they're going into 200 feet graded, and the, the boss man said, here's my manager, he said, he'll take care of you, I'm going to go make another bid. And so they're doing all this. And finally, I went over to the manager. He was driving a skid loader. I knocked on I said, stop me. I said, we're just putting down a little sample spot. You don't need to grade all this. He said, no problem. We'll just make this look all nice for you. We'll get that sample spot down for you. We'll let you, you know, you see what you think. They finished it up. I looked at the sample spot. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, who wouldn't want to pave their whole driveway? <laughs> Two hours. He kept, I couldn't get him to leave. Finally, they're packing up after I get a little firmer with them. And the boss man comes back. And we're standing there. I remember the first thing he said to me. You never intended to buy any, did you? I said, I told you that. Then he said this. You said you're a minister. <laughs> I said, yeah. Yeah. He's going to play, you know, like the soft-hearted minister. He said, you know, look at these guys around here. A lot of them have families. I'm trying to feed their families. I said, funny thing. So am I. His final parting words to me, just as his last, what's the name of your church? I said, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> he was not interested in coming to church. Paul said, those people, they're zealous. They want to separate you from us. Oftentimes when people are talking to us in our world, they want something. I mean, sometimes that's me. 
And sometimes there's a healthy transaction that's made. Barter, exchange, give and take. But oftentimes when we're listening to people, we need to listen with an ear that says, what's really behind what they're saying? Paul said they're zealous for no good. They're just simply trying to win you to their group so they feel more important. Are the people you're listening to really looking out for your best interest? In Galatians chapter 1, the first thing Paul said about these individuals, he said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, the freedom that's there, and turning to a different gospel or good news, which is really no good news at all. Evidently, he said, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the revelation of God in Christ, this good news. Here's a second question. Are the people you're giving your ear to, listening to, giving you a greater sense of having sound mind with sound judgment in line with the revelation of God, or are they bringing you a disorientation, a sense of confusion about what God has said? This is age old. In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we read about a conversation where Eve gives her ear to a serpent. The serpent is the evil one. And we understand that God had given Adam and Eve this revelation. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree in the center of the garden. When you eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. He made it very clear. There was no confusion in what he said. But the serpent came. And had Eve's ear. And listen to the conversation again. The serpent came and said, Did God really say? Let me just pose this. When someone asks that question, be a little leery. If someone comes to you and says, Hey, let's find out what God said. Or here's what I think God said. I'm trying to learn what God said. Listen to them. Work with them. But if someone is just trying to simply disarm what's been revealed here, be very leery. Did God really say? And look at what he does. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. He exaggerates what God said. The woman said to the serpent, she's already getting confused because of the approach of the conversation. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. True. But then she says, you must not touch it. Well, he never said that. You must not touch it or you will die. And then the serpent outright lies to her. You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. And so she saw that the fruit was good and pleasing. And she took some and ate it. And you know what happened when she gave some to her husband? Darkness came in their hearts. Whenever we listen to someone who moves us away from the revelation of God, we move away from the light and into darkness. And that's not a good place. Author Joe Earlman tells this story when he was 11 years old. It was during a youth league basketball game. He said, I was bounding the ball in from under the basket. The opposing player was all over me. I couldn't get the ball in. The coach called two consecutive timeouts to avoid a five-second call that would have cost us possession of the ball. The jumping bean kid guarding the inbounds pass was too close to me, and the ref wasn't giving me room. 
So coach pulled me aside after the second timeout, gripped my arm, would not let go as the referee summoned us back to the court. He put his face very close to mine so no one else could hear. He looked me straight in the eyes without blinking. Bring the ball back over your head, he said, with both hands and smash it into his face. (laughs) Here is the coach giving a selfish agenda. Listen to what he says. Do this so he'll know what kind of team he's playing. Coach wants to look tough. Right? He put his right hand on my shoulder and squeezed it so tightly that it hurt. Smash the ball as hard as you can in his face. I remember walking to the space below the basket, looking at the kid whose nose I was about to break. I remember knowing I was going to do it, even though most of me didn't want to. The bulk of my consciousness resisted the instruction, but something inside of me won out. I looked at my coach as the ref blew the whistle, handed me the ball. The coach kept staring at me without blinking. I gripped the ball. Slammed it into my hands as my teammates broke broke into zigzags. I lifted the ball above my head and brought it down with all of the force I could right into the kid's face. Blood shot everywhere, and the kid's mother came rushing out from the stands, screaming at me as her son lay crying on the court. Can't you see that? Listen now, listen. The whole gym stared at me the same way my coach did before the beastly act. The 50 or so people there became like one big eye looking straight into my wicked heart. It made me sick to my stomach. If you give your ear to people or voices that lead you away from the sound revelation of God. You will end up, as Adam and Eve did, as this gentleman did, in a darkness, shame-filled remorse and guilt that is lifeless. Are the people you're listening to really trying to enhance, enhance your understanding of the basic revelation of this book so that, so that you'll walk more in the light, in the joy and hope of what God has given to us. It's so important in our day. You know, when Paul wrote this letter... He had to dictate it. It took time to write a letter. Listen now. In our world today, there's tweets and there's emails and there's blogs and there's websites and there's five advertisements that pop up a minute and you drive down the street and then there's books and books and books and ideas promoted on cable channels and there's ideas everywhere. And most of it, most of it, is just useless in helping us live a fuller, richer life. The only thing that helps us live a fuller, richer life is the revelation of God and getting better understanding of it, aligning our lives with it more, 
And if we give our ear to people who are not helping us move that direction, we're moving towards darkness, not life. And Paul, understand when you read this book, the passion in his heart, look, they're leading you astray. It's wrong. I want you to know the the pure, simple revelation, the gift of Jesus in grace for your soul so you can walk in the joy of your salvation, the hope of your salvation, the freedom of your salvation, the peace of your salvation. What does he say then? Back to chapter 4. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first came, brought the good news. You, you didn't really want to reject me, want to accept me right away, but you brought me in. And then you listened to me like I had a message from God and you received that message. And then he says, where is that joyful, grateful spirit that you had then? What's the fruit of the people you're listening to? Is it bearing... Galatians chapter 5, he said, if you're walking in the light, in tune with the Spirit, then the fruit in your life will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Are the people you're listening to producing this kind of fruit in your life? Do they have this kind of fruit? If not, he said, turn them down. Who's got your ear? Paul was saying to those in Galatia, look, the wrong people have your ear. It's a selfish agenda. They're confusing the revelation of God and it's stealing your joy and your peace. Stop listening to them. One of the things I love about the mission of Orchard is the mission of Orchard is is not about any person Now, we as individuals may have selfish agendas now and then, but the mission of our church here is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we we have that mission because we think that's best for people. We would do well in a world filled with so many voices to learn to do what police officers do. Listen to the primary radio, primary voice that gives them assignments, tells them what's up. The voice that spoke the world into existence is the voice that brings life to us. And we ought to filter what we hear through what he's revealed to us and be pursuing his words that are life And we ought to be discarding other things we hear. When I was in Sunday school as a youngster, we were taught a little song. Theology of the song wasn't quite right, but one line was just had great wisdom in it. It said, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And be careful, little ears, what you hear. Because what you hear, when you take it in, begins to shape and mold you into what you become. I want to say a prayer that the Spirit of God would amplify His voice in our hearts and we would tune in more fully to listen to Him so we could walk in more joy and freedom as His people. And then I want to just take a little time as the worship band comes and we're just going to look, I'm going to open up and read some of the revelation of God to us before we worship. So let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you for this letter which you have sustained down through history, the passion that you inspired Paul with which to write it after you revealed to him really the radical gift of Jesus, the saving grace for our souls in spite of ourselves, and the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from walking in your spirit. Help us use this time in Galatians as a reminder to tune our ears to you and be discerning and learning about what you've said and then tuning out things. Give us the strength, the ability to filter well all that we hear and pursue you and your wisdom, your revelation to us. And Lord, for those here that are just starting on this journey and maybe have all kinds of ideas, We know that no one understands these things apart from your Spirit. And so we ask your Spirit to even now be peeling back veils, coverings of people's ears and hearts, so they can see, even as we head towards Easter and people in our community who could be invited to come and hear, hear the message and through through the just the presentation of the message. You bring faith and hope, peace to people. So be doing that in our midst, Lord. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. God inspired the words of the psalmist when he wrote Psalms 1. He says, Blessed is the man or the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Doesn't... Give ear to the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the way or stand on the road or be on the road with sinners. Or sit in the seat of those who look down on others. But blessed is the man who takes delight and gives his ear to the law of the Lord. And on his word, on his law, they meditate day and night. This person will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For God watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Jesus, when he was among us, gave what was known today as the Sermon on the Mount. And then the Sermon on the Mount... He said numerous times, you have heard it said this way, but I'm telling you, paraphrase, that's wrong. You have heard it was said, do not commit murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you today that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who even calls their brother a fool is answerable to the Sanhedrin and will be in danger of the fires of hell. Implication? They will be in need of grace. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you the truth, he says. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that person, implication, will be in need of grace. And again and again and again, He describes how we're told certain things, but God's measure is higher. 
And so grace will be needed. And that grace comes to us through the gift of Jesus that Paul is speaking of in the book of Galatians. At the end of his sermon, Jesus ends it saying this way. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. This person is like a wise man who builds their house on a rock. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against it. But it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The very words of life come to us from God by His Spirit through the revelation of His Word. And it is the anchor and hope of our souls. I hope that it's your predominant interest to give your ear to Him.